We are bringing together imperfect people in pursuit of a whole life. Welcome to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. This week, Pastor Doug Moss shares his message from a life built to last, lasting wealth. So Proverbs is a book of the Bible that has collected a bunch of one-liners of wisdom, written them down so that we can refer to them in later generations. Uh, But I want to remind us that that's not a a weird or an ancient thing that we don't do anymore. Every culture has created their own next generation set of Proverbs, Uh, things that we use to make wisdom uh, succinct and memorable so that we can can pass them on to other people and and remember and apply them in our daily life. Like our, our community right now, our culture has Proverbs that we use. We talk about things like, don't bite the hand that feeds you, right? It's a good proverb. Or uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Or have you tried turning it off and then on again? (laughs) And all these things are just simple ways to remind us of of important truths in our lives. But there are some modern-day proverbs that have wormed their way into our communal consciousness that I actually don't think are all that wise, And, and yet they're repeated as if they are. One that's bothered me for a long time, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, Dion Garrett spent a whole message on this last week. If you missed it, you should definitely go back and check that out. Really powerful stuff to say about words. Uh, All I'll say about it is I've learned that the, the injuries from sticks and stones heal a lot more quickly than the injuries from words in my experience. I'd rather have the former than the latter. But there's another proverb that I hear a lot that I also have questions about. Money can't buy happiness. Sure it can. Absolutely it can. And maybe I can't say that definitively, but I would love the chance to personally find out. I feel like the only people that say this are the ones that have just handed the keys of their Rolls Royce to the valet as they get on their yacht. Like, that's who says money can't buy happiness. Uh, And in fact, they did a study, Princeton did a study about 12 years ago, and they found that money does buy happiness up to a certain amount. See, this is what's interesting, is that they look at how much money we need to have well-being. They surveyed a ton of people and and, and asked them, you know, their levels of happiness, what their income was, and they actually came up with a number, that there is a number less than which you, uh, you could use more money, that more money will gain you more happiness until you get to this one number. And then after that number, eh, at that point, it's the law of diminishing returns. Uh, it, doesn't really, it doesn't really add anything to your life satisfaction to make more money. You guys want to know what that number is? So adjusted for inflation, because the study was in 2010, adjusted for inflation, that number now in 2022 is $105,000 a year. $105,000 a year and you have maximized your happiness, at least as far as what money can buy for you. If you make less than $105,000 a year, you're miserable, sorry. You make more than 105, everything after that, it, it's not really contributing to the well-being of your life, just statistically according to this study. Uh, and, and, and reflecting on that, a, a psychologist from Harvard, he, he kind of unpacked it this way. He said, look, money might not directly buy happiness, but money certainly buys the opportunity for happiness. That moneyed people generally uh, live longer and healthier lives, 
they enjoy financial security, uh, they have luxury, uh, leisure time, uh, and they have control over how they spend their days. And those are all things that contribute to happiness, and those are all things that money can buy you up until about $105,000. And the point being that after that, you're not really gaining any more leisure time. You're not really gaining any more control over your life. You're not gaining longer and healthier life benefits. That, that that's kind of the number uh, at which point things change. But regardless, I think that's so fascinating, but, but the main thing is this, to recognize that money is actually one of the most powerful aspects of human existence. Uh, it controls a lot of things. It's, it's an incredibly powerful tool in our lives, which is why it's important that we talk about it in church. If we're going to be people that build well-crafted lives, we can't ignore money. And in fact, Jesus didn't ignore money. I think sometimes I hear people say, oh, you know, church shouldn't talk about certain things. Stick to the Bible. Well, if we stick to the Bible, Jesus talked about money more than any other human issue. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about how to love people. Like that's, that's the comparison. Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. That's how much he talked about money. Uh, Jesus told a lot of parables, stories, and case studies. Almost a third of the parables that Jesus told were about money. And I think it's because Jesus recognized this truth, that whether you are rich, whether you are poor, money makes a huge impact on the kind of life that you're building. And how you accumulate money and what you do with it once you have it absolutely decides whether you're living a well-crafted life or one that's not going to go as well for you as you would like. So I want to talk about that with you today in, in this theme of how do we build a well-crafted life? How does money play into it? And I don't want to actually start with Jesus. We'll get to him. I actually want to start with the book of Proverbs, which is what we're going through uh, in the month of uh, January. Now, if you did not know, and I want to tell you this, Proverbs, we know who wrote most of Proverbs. The first 29 chapters or so were written by Solomon. Now, we just did a message on him a couple months ago, if you want to know more about him. But for those of you that don't know it, Solomon was one of the kings of Israel, one of the wealthiest human beings in history. His, his richness was so vast, he became legendary. He was the Jeff Bezos of the Old Testament, was Solomon, okay? Like he was so wealthy, his horses had horses. I mean, like that's the guy, like no one's been wealthier than him uh, before or since. And he collected all of his one-liners of wisdom. They collected them in this book of Proverbs. And I bring that up because if there's a guy that can speak to what it means to have lasting wealth, it's the guy that has been, become legendary for having more wealth than anyone has had before or since. And so if you've been following along with us for the last couple of weeks, we're in the middle of kind of a church-wide challenge where we're inviting everyone to read one chapter of Proverbs a day, the one that matches uh, that day of the week. And so if you're doing that with us, this upcoming week, you'll be reading Proverbs uh, chapter 16 through 21. Uh, those are the dates on the calendar. Uh, and so I've taken some selections from that reading. So if, you, if you're doing this, you'll read some of these verses yourself in this upcoming week. But I just pulled out a few things that Solomon had to say about wisdom. Uh, because again, I myself, I don't claim to know a lot about finances and wealth and, and how wisdom connects with those things, but I do believe that Solomon did. So I, I want to just read a couple of sections that you might, might be reading this week. Let's see what Solomon himself had to say about wisdom and the way it pertains to wealth in our lives. Proverbs 16. Solomon writes, we can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. So commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. And when people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. 
Better to have a little bit with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. The Lord demands accurate scales and balances. He sets the standards for fairness. How much better to get wisdom than gold and good judgment than silver? See, Solomon, a man who had lots of wealth, he doesn't discount it, but he says there is something even better than gold and silver, and it's the wisdom to know how to use it rightly. He continues on in chapter 21. He says, people may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their heart. And the Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. Haughty eyes, a proud heart, and evil actions are all sin. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. The violence of the wicked sweeps them away because they refuse to do what is just. The guilty walk a crooked path, but the innocent travel a straight road. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. And I love this point, and it connects to the topic because you and I know about the celebrities that have multiple mansions and are on their third, fourth, fifth marriage. I think they would maybe have learned well from this proverb. Thousand-year-old wisdom still applies today. But I want you to notice the theme in this section that we just read, and we're going to dive into some things a little more deeply moving forward, is this, that so often the conversation around money today, both in general and the world, but also even within the church, uh, sets up this, this dichotomy that says uh, poverty is pure and noble and righteous, and wealth is evil and immoral and suspect. And yet you'll notice that's not how the Bible talks about wealth. The Bible says that, no, you can have wealth, uh, but but then you also have to have with it to go wisdom. See, there's not this um, contrast in the Bible that says poor equals good, rich equals bad. But what we see in Proverbs and and, and throughout is this kind of table similar to what Dion used last week, that there is a wicked way of life and a righteous way of life. And so, therefore, there is a wicked way to be poor, but there's also a righteous way to be poor. And there is a wicked way to be rich— And there is a righteous way to be rich. And so we need to not just assume that one of these is better than the other, one of these is more desirable, but the fact is that we're all in different spots on our own financial journey and that wherever you are, there is an opportunity to do things uh, the wicked way or the righteous way. Uh, I I learned this in in a really, um, in a way that landed for me as a young person because I read this set of fairy tales by George MacDonald. If if you don't know him, uh, he's a Scottish pastor, theologian, and writer, uh, and he wrote two amazing fairy tales, The Princess and and the Goblin and The Princess and Curdie. Uh, And I'll I'll tell you this up front, that there is more spiritual wisdom uh, in in those two fairy tales than there is in an entire seminary's class worth of reading. Uh, That's how powerful and profound they are. And in the second one, The Princess and Curdie, there's a scene with Curdie's father. Now, Curdie's father was a man named Peter, and he was a hardworking miner. Uh, he, he worked in the mountains, digging out silver that went to the king's palace, uh, and he himself was not a wealthy man, but he was a virtuous, noble man, worked from dawn until dusk in the mines, came home and was a good husband to his wife, a good dad to his son, Curdie. And, and there's this great scene at the very beginning of the book, The Princess and Curdie, where God himself comes down and has a conversation with Peter and gives him just some profound insight into his life. I want to share that with you. God says, you have got me to thank that you are so poor, Peter. 
I have seen to that, and it has done well for both you and me, my friend. You see, things come to the poor that can't get in at the door of the rich. Their money somehow blocks it up. It is a great privilege to be poor, Peter, one that no man ever coveted, and but a very few have sought to retain, but one that yet many have learned to prize. Now, you must not mistake, however, and imagine it a virtue. It is but a privilege, and one also that, like other privileges, may be terribly misused. Had you been rich, my Peter, you would not have been so good as some rich men that I know. See, I I love this picture from God that, that, that both poverty and wealth are themselves different blessings from God and that they have different things that you get from them, that, that Peter learned a lot of things that he would not have learned otherwise because there's something about being rich that prevents you from learning some of those life lessons. And, and yet that call out at the end, that, that kind of sobering reminder to him that, that he, if he had wealth, he would not have been so good of a man as some of the rich people uh, that, that God knows of. See, it, it's this really important picture, again, it takes us back to this table, that, that there are different states of being, both of them are God-honoring ways to be, but we have to decide, are we gonna walk down the wicked path or are we gonna walk down the righteous path? And the Proverbs rubric, it gives us idea that there is a wicked way to be poor. This is the lazy, the, the ones that don't want, want to work. But there's a righteous way to be poor, which is the hardworking folks. And maybe just circumstances in life hasn't set them up to, to receive a lot of wealth, but they, they still do the best they have with what they've been given. And there's a wicked way to be rich. These are the swindlers and the profiteers, people who make their money and it comes at the cost of the health and safety and well-being of others around them. That, that, that's the wrong way to be rich. But, but there's a righteous way to be rich where, where your wealth becomes a blessing for many. And this is the picture that Proverbs paints, and it's the picture I'd like uh, to walk through together with the rest of our time. Now, I'm not going to spend any more time talking about uh, the wicked, because I don't think there's anyone here that that willingly wants to be wicked in in their poverty or their wealth. Uh, We're going to talk about this, because I think you and I, we all want to be righteous in whatever our financial station uh, might be. So a couple of points I want to make before we dive in to Proverbs and the rest of our time is I want to say two things. I'm going to share with you a bunch of tips about lasting wealth from the book of Proverbs moving forward. I do not want you to even attempt uh, to try and learn and internalize and, and, and do implement all of these things. Here's what I'm asking you to do. To right now, plan on looking for one thing. One thing that I'm gonna share in the next 20 minutes that, that, that you're inviting God to speak to your heart and say, okay, that's it. That's, that's the one thing that God is moving on me to do next. And if you got one of the note cards uh, at the door, you can go back and get one of those if you have a phone or a journal, but plan on writing something down that God might have uh, to share with you a way that you can build lasting wealth in your life, wherever you are. And to that last point, my second thing is, I'm not gonna decide for you where you are in the poor or rich spectrum. We're all on different spots on our journey. Uh, I'm gonna let you self-select and decide where you think you fit. But what I will say to you is that these principles are true. Uh, No matter where you are uh, in the financial spectrum, they might, there might be a little bit of a nuance or a flavor based on whether you, you think that you're trying to be righteous in your, in your poverty or whether you're trying to be righteous in your wealth. Uh, and I'll talk about both things. But I, again, I leave it to you to decide where you think you fit and what next step God might be calling you based on which of these quadrants you are in. All right, so again, I only want you to look for one thing, but I want you to write that down and, and try to implement it. 
And secondly, you get to pick whether you're, you're, you're trying to do a, a righteous poverty next step or a righteous wealth next step, okay? So with that, let, let's dive into what we see in the book of Proverbs. So if we want to build lasting wealth, one of the first things uh, that we have to do, it's, it's in fact the first thing, is that we have to recognize that all things come from our provider, from God himself. That God is the one that gives us everything we have in this life. That nothing starts with our striving uh, and effort. Everything starts with God's goodness and his gifts to us. Now, this is a trickier thing to do depending on which quadrant you are in. Uh, If if you're trying to be righteous and poor, then what this is going to look like for you is, is saying that even though I don't have much, what I do have is a good gift from God. And I need to trust that it is enough for what God has called me to do with my life today. That it starts by saying, it might be little, it might not be a lot, but what it is, is from God and it's what he's given me that I need for my life. Now, if you're you're striving to take a step of being righteous and wealthy, then this looks a little different. What this looks like is remembering to credit God. You see, if you've already uh, been someone, if you have wealth and you've worked hard, you've made shrewd choices, you've been careful with your money, you've done a lot of noble, valiant, worthwhile things that you should be lauded for, but recognize that even all those choices you made, even the shrewd decisions were still ultimately the benefit of God. That no matter how much hard work you did, God was the one that gave you that work ethic or he set you in a family where you learned that from your parents or or he gave you a starting point that, that was higher than some other people. One way or another, everything you have, no matter how hard you've worked, no matter what gifts you have, they all find their source in God himself. And that's ultimately where we need to be putting all of our trust and all of our credit in the God that is the giver of good gifts. Solomon describes it this way in Proverbs 18. He says, the name of the Lord is itself a strong fortress. God is the provider. And the godly run to him and are safe. They trust him for their protection. But, but the rich, they think of their wealth as their strong defense. And they imagine it to be their high wall of safety. You see, Solomon's saying, and I think this is what God was getting at in that moment from the princess and Curdy, is this, is that when you do have wealth, it becomes an insulator. It becomes a thing that becomes so much easy uh, to ignore and forget that God is the source of all that goodness. And at the end of the day, wealth is uncertain. As easily as you earned it, it can be taken away. It can be lost uh, in one crash, in one unforeseen circumstance. It's gone. But the one thing that is never gone is this promise of God as the one who wants to provide for you and protect you and me. And maybe in this moment you're thinking, it's easy for Solomon to say. Again, this is the wealthiest guy in history. And if you didn't know, he actually had a conversation with God. He prayed and God told Solomon directly and personally, hey man, I'm going to give everything to you. You're going to have all the wisdom in the world, all the wealth in the world, all the power, all the success and the fame. God personally promised Solomon that he would be all these things for him. So real easy for, him, for Solomon to write that down and say, oh yeah, we got this. After all, you and I are not kings. We don't have access to castles and towers the way Solomon did. But this is why it's so important to recognize, as we talked a couple weeks ago, that wisdom is not just a series of one-liners. Wisdom is the person of God himself. God made man in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was giving one of his most important speeches, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, he circled around on this topic of wealth and and notice how he takes it to the next level beyond what Solomon did. See, Solomon said, God's a tower. 
that provides protection, not money. Jesus said, and he's talking not to kings and wealthy people, he's talking to regular, ordinary folks just like you and me. And Jesus says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, Jesus takes this strong tower and fortress metaphor and he turns it into an even more powerful one. He says, God's not just a tower of protection, God's a heavenly father. And unlike a tower, which is a passive, immobile object, a heavenly father cares for you. He doesn't just passively sit back and protect you, he wants the best things for you. And unlike a tower, which only a few wealthy people have access to, a heavenly father loves all of his children. And he wants all of them to have the good things in life. See, Jesus took a promise that maybe had been made only to Solomon and he expands it to all people, to you and me today. And at the end of the day, Jesus is pointing us back to this, that that in everything, we start with this, to recognize that there is a provider, that he is for us, that he is on our side, and just like a, a good earthly father would, he wants nothing but the best for us and he gives us all the best that he has. And so once we make that step, now we can, we can move to number two, which is then if the provider is true, if we can trust and credit God for everything we have, well, then it shifts what we are working for. You see, Jesus called it out. He said, the pagans run after these things. And if you don't think that there is a, a powerful being who is for you in the universe, then yes, the most rational thing to do in the world is to spend your, your short, brief minutes of life, whatever you have, scrabbling for whatever bit of wealth, protection, security that you can get that you should spend every moment striving to earn a little bit more to protect yourself as best as you can from the vagaries and uncertainties of the world. That's just the right thing to do. But if we have a provider, we don't have to strive for that anymore. Just like my kids, they do chores. They don't do chores because they need them to eat. Like they're gonna have plenty of food to eat. They do chores because that's, that's kind of the next thing to do. They do it because that's part of what the fa- our family does. And so in the same way, our, our work no longer becomes striving for, for something, it becomes just something that we do for the sake of God's impact. So what that's gonna look like, if you're, if you're uh, in the righteous and poor quadrant, then it recognizes that God has given every human being, every one of us, a vocation. That you and I have been called to do work, but not just work for the sake of, of, of protecting ourselves or accumulating wealth and security, work for the sake of being the person, the fullness that God designed us to be and, and, and serving others in the world in the way that he designed us to do. So if, if, you're, if you're still striving uh, and, and you're in that righteous and poor quadrant, what it means is do the best at what you, what you have. Become the best worker that you can be, the best boss that you can be. Work hard to do, uh, get, get the training that you need, whatever it is, so that you can be the most successful at your job because the very act of being successful at your job, when you're oriented right, means that you are in that success striving and you're having a success and making an internal impact on the world. Or for those that are in the righteous and rich quadrant, then what what this is saying is, is God's inviting you to expand your work. That whereas when you're you're first just trying to get success, you're just kind of focusing on on you and what what you need to do in the, the lane you're in. But as you move into righteous and wealthy, then God's inviting you to expand your eternal impact scope and, and to look around you and say, all right, I, I, generally, if you're here, it's because you've already found success somehow or somewhere. And he's saying, now move beyond that. Don't settle for success, aim for significance. Don't just be successfully good at the one thing you're good at. Find a way to leave a legacy behind to make an impact on the world around you. Solomon talks about it this way. 
He says, look, we can make our own plans. But at the end of the day, it's the Lord who gives us the right answer. And people may be pure in their own eyes, but it's the Lord who examines their motives. And and the best motive is this, to commit your actions to the Lord. To him, not, not to your own success or wealth or gain, but to the Lord. And if you do that, your plans will succeed. See, Solomon is teaching this concept of vocation, that you and I have something to do and to do well in the name of God and for God's glory. And Jesus, he, he, he's so pithy, but he, he brings the same perspective in that Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you saw this a moment ago, but Jesus says to the people, he says, look, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And if you seek that first, if you make that the priority, if you're working for the eternal impact of the kingdom of God, then all these other things, clothes and house and food, all the things you need, they'll be given to you as well. See, I think this is so important because Jesus and the Bible, they talk so differently than Christians tend to talk these days. Go back to step two. This idea that we, don't, we shouldn't have the good things in life. That's not something that God says. It's not something Jesus says. He says, I actually want you to have all the good things. All these things will be added to you too. But what Jesus is saying and Solomon before him said is that when we rightly orient the goals, the goal is not to accumulate all of these things. The goal is to have an eternal impact, to strive for that. And when we do, we actually get both things. We get all of the good things in life and we get to make an impact that matters. We get to work uh, and for, in a way that, that will last forever. The next step for building lasting wealth uh, is that we are encouraged, you and I, every one of us, it's gonna be a different place, but there is a sweet spot, a sweet spot called enough, where you, just, you have enough. And, and that's where Christians who trust in their loving Heavenly Father, that's where we're called to live, in, in the world of enough. And it's going to be different for each person where that is. And depending on which quadrant you're in, that, that's going to, going to manifest a little differently as well. See, for some people, enough is, I don't have enough. That the bills and the costs of, of living, they're already up here, and, and my income is down here, and, and these things don't match. And as we're trying to live within our means, this, the first way to find the enough sweet spot is we, we've got to then maximize the labor and the work that we do. If, if the bills and the cost of life are, are, are higher than what you've got, then what do you and I need to do if, if we're the righteous poor to maximize that labor? What, what do we need to put in overtime? Do we need to, to get a different job? Do we need to get recertified, uh, you know, get additional education so that we can charge more for our services? What do we need to do to maximize the work that we do so that we can bring the income up to the level where it covers the expenses? How do we work harder to find and make enough? And I'll say this, I don't, I don't know where you are in life, but if you're in this quadrant, you are in the best time you could possibly be because there is so much work to be done and not enough workers to do it. Which means if you don't like your current job, if you're not making enough money at your current job to, to cover the expenses, you have more choice in front of you than any generation has had in a long time. Maybe this is the time to go back to school and, and, and follow that passion that you just weren't, weren't you're afraid you couldn't do it. Maybe this is the time to shop around and, and find an employer that knows your worth so that, so that the, the rate that they pay for your time is commensurate to what you do and who you are. It's okay to maximize the labor, to, to work harder, to find enough. Or if you're in the righteous and rich quadrant, then, then this is an opportunity that maybe you already have enough. You've, you've hit the $105,000 mark and you're over it. And, and to think, maybe I don't need to just accumulate more things. Maybe I don't need that second vacation cabin. You know, one vacation cabin's enough. 
but to look around your life and, and to say, okay, what are the things I already have maximized the happiness potential of what money can buy for me. And so now with everything that's extra, how do I, rather than pour that into luxuries, pour that into something else? Since the luxuries aren't going to make me any happier statistically, then what else can I do with that? How can I minimize my luxuries? Solomon describes it this way in Proverbs 21. He says, the person who strays from common sense will end up in the company of the dead. If you're not shrewd with how you live and map out your life and your needs, you're going to die. And those who love pleasure ultimately become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. But the wise, they have wealth and luxury. See, wealth and luxury aren't bad. It's the pursuit of them as the highest goal. That's the problem. But fools, they spend whatever they get. If they've got it in the bank account, they're spending it. And whoever pursues righteousness and unfailing love, they will find life, righteousness, and honor. Mockers are proud and haughty. They act with boundless arrogance. Despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin, for their hands refuse to work. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. And the wicked, they bluff their way through, but the virtuous think before they act. See, Solomon's inviting us to, to be shrewd in, in the ways that we find that, that sweet spot of enough, that if you don't have enough, then you need to, to, to plan and, and be strategic and think through what you need to work, the efforts you need to make to get there. But on the flip side, don't just continue to pile on luxury after luxury. Don't just spend everything that you've got just because you've got it, but, but find that sweet spot where we can live. Jesus, as always, he, he's, he's the perfect embodied wisdom. He, he says it even more succinctly than Solomon does. Jesus just says this, dear God, Give us today our daily bread. It's, a, it's an odd phrase for us today. We only ever say it in terms of the Lord's Prayer. But, so let me just explain. This word daily, what that meant in, in Bible times was just simply enough. It just means enough. Jesus is inviting us to say, God, give us enough for today. Enough bread for today. Enough food for today. Enough, enough income for today. Enough house for today. That's all Jesus is saying in this word, that just enough is where we live. And so again, for wherever you are, this is what we're called to do, to find that enough sweet spot. Whether that's maximizing the work that you do, or at least the, the rate, the, the pay that you get for it, or whether it's minimizing the luxuries because you're already on the other side and, and you don't truly need more. There's a really inspiring example uh, to me, a, a Christian CEO out on the West Coast, a man named Daniel Price. Uh, about 12 years ago, 10 years ago, he read the same study that I was talking about, that Princeton study that said that um, at the time, adjusted for inflation because it was 12 years ago, uh, at that time it was $70,000. $70,000 was the dividing line between wealth can buy you happiness and it doesn't get you anything more uh, in your life. And, and he's a, a Christian guy, wants to take care of his employees. And he's hearing from these employees that, that, that you know, they're living in Silicon Valley. California is crazy expensive to live in. And, and they're saying, I can't make ends meet. I can't start a family. I can't do anything based on what you pay me. And, and he's like, well, I'm paying you the market rates. You know, what, what's your problem? But, but then he thought about it because he had compassion. This is a good Christian guy that wants to be a good leader and a boss for his company. And, and right as he's wrestling with this, he sees that Princeton study that says 70,000 is the dividing line for happiness. And he made a commitment. He decided that the starting wage at his company would be $70,000. And from there, it would scale up. If, if you had jobs that required more accreditation, more experience, you know, whatever, you'd make even more than that, but, but that the lowest play, paid person in his company would make $70,000 because that's what he saw was what was, in, was needed for them to have enough to survive life. Now, of course, the question comes, how do you pay for that? And the answer is, the CEO took a pay cut. 
He looked around at the statistics that 70 years ago, a CEO made approximately 30 times what their lowest paid employee made. Today, it's skyrocketed. CEOs, on average, make 300 times what their lowest wage employee makes. And that CEO, again, a man of faith, said, well, do I really need the multi-million dollar CEO salary? And so he took a pay cut. He paid himself vastly less so that he could afford to pay his employees significantly more, a number that would be enough for them to live a good life. And what I'll tell you is this, is everyone called him a fool, but that was 10 years ago. His company is doing better today than it's ever been. Turnover is the lowest of any, anybody around. And, and most importantly for him, his employees are having babies and starting families and able to buy houses because of the sacrifice that he made. You see, it, it pays dividends for all of us, but, but ultimately this is the challenge that, that wherever, whether it's you need to make more or whether you need to luxurize less, there is a sweet spot for each and every one of us. And, and again, you're called to find it. That's a journey you're gonna go on with God and figure out exactly where he wants you to be. Because ultimately what you do with that excess is that the, the end goal of all of this is that God invites you and me to generously invest in others around us. He says that, that there is, you have money to give, not just, for your, not just to use it for your own welfare, your own family, but to bless those around you. And again, this plays out differently depending on which quadrant you're in. If you're trying to be righteous and poor, then here's my encouragement to you. Don't wait to be generous. I've seen it over and over again in other people's lives. I have felt the tension in mine. I have been the broke college student uh, that didn't have a lot. And, and it always feels like generosity is the thing that we're gonna do later. Once I have a little more income, once I've got some disposable stuff, once I've hit the enough sweet spot, maybe then I'll start giving. What I'll tell you is it doesn't play out that way. If you don't start giving when, when you're poor, you will not start giving when you are wealthy. And I've just seen it over and over and over again. And what I'll say to you is no matter how poor you think you are, there is someone in your life, someone that you care about, someone that's in your circle, your, 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 your sphere, that would be blessed by what you could do for them. And maybe it's small. I mean, we're talking like gift card level of, of, of a place to start. But what my point is this, don't wait. Don't wait to be generous when you have more money. Start being generous right here, right now. And for those of you that are, are looking to take a step in the righteous and rich column, what I'll say to you is don't stop. There's not a cap on generosity to God. Uh, the IRS may stop rewarding you for charitable giving at a certain amount, but God never stops rewarding you. To that point, listen to what Solomon says. He says, give freely and become more wealthy from God. But be stingy, lose everything. The generous will prosper, Solomon says. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. But people curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells in time of need. See, Solomon's saying that there, there, he's figured out with his wisdom that there's a way the universe works, and that's because there is a good provider and creator over the universe that says that when we give, we get back in return. And not just in some spiritual sense, like, oh, you did a good thing. Like, in a, in a true, real, material way, Solomon is saying that when we are generous, we receive generosity back. That it actually increases what we have when we are willing to give others. And I've seen it play out over and over and over again. But Jesus, as always, he, he takes it to another level and he makes it clear why this is important. Not, not just because Solomon says you might get something back if you're generous. Notice the, the point that Jesus makes in that same sermon. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Why? Because here on earth, moths eat them and rust destroys them. 
and thieves can break in and steal your wealth. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. Because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. See, Jesus is making this incredibly pragmatic point that that the stuff in this life, it gets taken away so easily. It gets destroyed, it gets stolen. Uh, The wealth that we're building up around us to protect ourselves from the uncertainty of the world, it crumbles away. And Jesus says, but there is something greater and bigger that you can invest in, that you can put your wealth towards something that is guaranteed to last. And what that is, is other people. You see, every material thing in this world is going to burn up eventually. It's, gonna, it's not going to last. It's, it's, it's going to die. I, mean, I think about people that, that hoard gold and silver for the case of the apocalypse. And I'm telling you, the gold and silver is not going to be worth much uh, when the banks fail. It's all going to ultimately crumble. There is one thing and one thing only that you and I can invest in that will last for eternity. And that is people. The people around us will last forever. And so we're invited to make a difference in the one thing that will truly last when we give generously to others, no matter which quadrant you and I are in. See, and here's what's beautiful about all this, and here's what I hope you notice, is that so much of the language around wealth for so long uh, has been with this moralistic shaming bent, this idea that, that God hates rich people, that, that, that wealth is itself an immoral thing to have, but I want you to see truly what Scripture and God really says which is that God doesn't want you and me to necessarily live lives of, of like a monk in, in sackcloth and ashes, you know, spurning all earthly goods. God's saying, actually, I want you to have all the good things, but I want you to have them in a way that are gonna bring you to your best life. I want wealth to be a tool that you use for blessing for yourself and others, not a tool that leads you to ruin because you put your hope in it. See, at the end of the day, you see in this, these are the actions in, in the, of, of God himself. That as wise and wealthy a king as Solomon was, Jesus is the wisest, most powerful king who's ever been. And Jesus has been nothing but generous with us. He's given every good blessing under the sun. He's given his own life blood for the sake of making sure that you and I have an inheritance that will last forever. See, that's why we talk about money. That's why it matters how we live, uh, not, not because of some moralistic God who wants to shame us, but because ultimately he wants us to live the best life for ourselves and for others. The Apostle Paul, he summarizes it this way in a letter that he wrote to Timothy. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all this, all the worries of the world, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith, Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. And then he adds this little postscript. He says, so command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. A life that is built to last because it's built not on wealth, but on the love and the goodness of God himself. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm so grateful to you. I'm grateful that that you who are the, the, the keeper of the whole universe, you who have all blessing and power, that you have poured out generously on us. That every person here, no matter where we are on the financial spectrum, has received good gifts from you. And I thank you that you want to continue pouring out your blessings on us if we will simply trust in you uh, and use our resources the way you advise us to do. And so, Lord, for everyone here, help them to recognize and trust in who you are and what you've done for them. Help us to have wisdom and discernment of how to use the lever that is money for the sake of blessing, not for the sake of hoarding. And ultimately, Lord, pour out your generous blessings on us. Help us to see that when we trust you with enough, that you give us more than enough in every facet of our lives. We pray all this trusting in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, hit the subscribe button. You can also find more resources at pathfinderstl.org.